Ira Georgia, take it away. Welcome to League One Fun. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. We're sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. I'm Ira Jersey. And of course, that voice you heard to start us off is the same one that usually does. It was Jason, Home Sweet Soccer. How are you, Jason? I'm good. I just wanted to see if people were going to look at their phone and make sure they didn't have the <laughs> podcast going at double speed. I've done that once or twice. And, I, you know, every once in a while, there there's a podcast where the host, I'm a New Yorker, right? So I am used to everyone talking fast and I'm just like, come on, get on with it already. Like, let's go faster. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Now we, no, no, no need for that. We, we talk uh, at a very moderate speed, I think. Yeah. Except more of, more of your Philadelphia speed, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, we don't curse on this show, so no, yeah. not, not quite. <laughs> Fair enough. Family friendly. Um, should we get to some news, Jason? Let's do it. So the most important news, at least as far as I'm concerned, that came out of uh, the USL this week was the fact that all USL players and staff are going to undergo mandatory training through a partnership that they've created with the Institute for Sport and Social Justice. Um, this follows uh, some stuff going on with uh, in the USL Championship with San Diego Loyal, where there were racial slurs hailed at them by LA Galaxy 2, and then Junior Flemings at from Phoenix Rising, then made a homophobic slur at a game which got national attention. I mean, Good Morning America hit it up, and Landon Donovan and um, and and the player involved were uh, is, were both. Which is always great. We always love when lower league soccer gets national attention, and it has nothing to do with the actual <sighs> gameplay. Yeah, but- it's it was it was bad, but also understandable, right? So, yeah. um, so so with this, that should have been happened, right? Like, if, in all honesty, this should be required for every sports league. Like, when you are playing a game or in you're in any kind of working environment with multicultural, multi races, like there should be some kind of training. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of that is when when I and other people advocate to get people uh, of color in executive positions, this is why, because those decisions aren't made or thought about when you don't have people in color in those positions, right? So even in that situation where the referee in the in the Phoenix game you know, said, oh, well, I didn't know what that word meant. It's because they've never had that kind of training. It's because you don't have a diverse for, uh, head, you know, head referees for pro referees, right? Like I, I posted the roster. They don't have any people of color in, the, in their roster. So it's one of those things to where this is important because if you don't have that representation at an executive level or decision-making level, this is the kind of training that everyone needs so that these situations don't happen or if they do happen, they're, they're the process is a, you know, one that doesn't involve a, a weak investigation and all like walking off and causing all this media attention. And we have to keep in mind that USL is a is a franchise organization, right? So it's not it's not like each team is is quasi independent like they are in a lot right. of the other leagues around the world. Um, so this is something that can be mandated, you know, from from on high through um, through through USL. You know, it'd be much harder to do this in the Premier League, and of course, those teams are much larger general organizations. You know, they don't have twelve staff and and you know twenty three players. They have hundreds of staff and hundreds of players um, through through various levels. So you know, I think that this is definitely a positive. Um, you know, every organization that I've worked for in the corporate world has done this in the thirty years. You know, now granted, I've mainly worked for bigger companies. But, um, but yeah, this is something that everyone has to keep in mind. I mean, I, you know, just, you know, again, I'm going to bring this back to an anecdote of mine, but I have everyone who works for our USL League 2 team that I'm, I'm starting 
all 11 people have, including myself, have signed a pledge like about racism and understanding it and, you know, understanding that um, we want to be diverse and that we want to be um, make sure that everyone is treated fairly and, and, uh, and equitably. So, um, you know, I think this is a, a step in the right direction and hopefully a lot of people learn about it, even if it's just a couple of people who would have been bad apples, you know, right. that's who we need to reach. I mean, even going back with me working corporate, right? When I worked at a corporate law firm, there were affinity groups for pretty much every marginalized group that we have in this country. So you had minorities and it was broken down into race. So you had Asian Americans, you had black Americans, you had Hispanic Americans, you had um, gay and queer groups, you had everybody. And then once a month, there would be a presentation on things that you think aren't racist remarks or aren't derogatory, but actually are micro racist or are micro derogatory. And it was one of those things. And, you know, they created brochures and, and material and it, it involves people like that that don't even think about it that don't that might repeat something and not even realize it's like that or not even think about what that other person is going through and so yeah when you have people in an executive position usl and of color to make those decisions and to bring that kind of thought process into it that's why that's how you get these ideas and that, how you get these processes that should have been implemented a while ago yeah, fair enough um, moving on to other um, happy news, or I meant, I meant that sarcastic. <laughs> it's always happy news in USA. <laughs> <laughs> well, the bangers are pretty happy, right. but uh, <laughs> we had a few more of those this week. Um, four players on two teams tested positive for COVID. Oh, we uh, got a few more of those this week release. too. Huh? Yeah, so that's uh, so anyway. So that was the other thing. So so now now for the not sarcastically real good news. So two things: uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation announced today that they're they they're starting something called the Jill Ellis Scholarship Program, which will uh, create financial support for female candidates to get their U.S. Soccer B.A. and Pro licenses. Um, Jill Ellis, uh, as far as I know at this moment, is still the only woman with a U.S. soccer pro license. That's crazy. So um, so anyway, so hopefully this will create a pathway to have, again, more diversity among the coaching ranks. Um, yeah. So um, and anyway, just mentioning that it's, you know, obviously not League One related, but um, but but is something that that I think is important to highlight. And then finally, you know, Jason, you I totally forgot about this because I, I forgot this was only this past week. I thought. This was ages ago. So it seems. 2020 has made, I, first of all, most times <laughs> never been real. I can't, I've, I've always been an advocate for that and I repeat it, but 2020 has definitely made it not real. Yeah. So, so, so go ahead and, and, uh, and remind us of this news. Yeah. The USL league one final, uh, was announced that it will be airing on ESPN Deportes as well as Sirius XM. And don't worry for people who don't have ESPN Deportes, you can still listen or watch on a ESPN plus as well. My question, though, is uh, with ESPN Deportes, does that mean that we're going to get maybe some some more cameras, some better angles, or you know what I mean? Like, is, is it now is the quality going to look good since we're going to be on national TV? What's yeah, going on? Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. I I hope so. I mean, we did uh, the, the the League One final last year, even though it was in um, it was in Frisco at FC Dallas's stadium. It still only had the two camera mm -hmm. shoot um you know and i was there and you know they set up a camera kind of in a weird place instead of using you know the six or eight cameras that they normally have around the stadium so it was a little bit weird i mean i i hope so i mean that would be great you know to have 
Um, even, I mean, granted, look, it's going to be in Greenville. I mean, we know that now, but even if they had two more cameras, like just from like, you know, near closer to the 18, um, that would be fantastic. So yep. hopefully, hopefully they can make that happen one way or the other. And I believe it's going to be the first Spanish language USL league one game aired as well. That is the commentary. So, that is what they said in the release. So I have sorry, to believe it's true. Sorry, Ross. I know you've been trying to break into the play by play, but you just got even more competition now. You better <laughs> Better open up that Duolingo and uh, get to the lessons. Do, do you think Ross could actually do goal in uh, and hold hold it for like forty five seconds? You got a challenge now. I, I, I mean, yeah, Greenville. They, yeah, you got a challenge now. Greenville's <laughs> going to score again before the end of the season. You got yeah, a challenge, Ross. Three more games. They'll get at least one more. Yeah, and, so. oh, in, in in theory, they'll get three goals. Right. That, right. That, that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Although they they doubled that this week, which we'll get to. In a well, yeah, it was Orlando, <laughs> and they should have. Uh, Pentagon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so shall we get into some match reviews here? Let's do it. All right. So uh, last Wednesday, uh, this game was kicking off right around the time we were recording. Um, the It was Fort Lauderdale hosted Union Omaha. Fort Lauderdale scored two. Union Omaha scored three with a, a late winner um, by, uh, uh, by of course, who else was it going to be except Central Jersey's own Ethan Vanacore Decker. Um, but, but you know, this, this match, I, I watched large portions of the match, not the whole thing through, but it seemed like it was a pretty competitive match. I mean, that's a great venue for, for a game. I mean, even though it's a kind of a temporary state, temporary ish stadium, it will be Fort Lauderdale's, uh, home ground. And, um, uh, and it was back and forth. It was interesting to see Omaha trying to press on a bigger field. Like it, that was a uh, something that you know you're not used to watching them play out in uh, out in Omaha. And welcome Tobias Ateno, who had a spectacular debut: seven tackles, five interceptions, winning ten of his eighteen duels. I think Omaha in general did a very good job of not allowing Fort Lauderdale to build up the middle as soon as they got half to the to the midfield line. As soon as they got on the Omaha side, you watched everyone close in, especially Tobias. I thought he was spectacular, did what he needed to do. And as a proof of that, Sosa only had one key pass the whole game, and it was from his own half of the field, which is a long ball. And so that was the theme for Fort Lauderdale throughout the whole game is that most of their key passes, I think they had – six of them or five of them and two of them uh were long balls and the other three were also within maybe 30 yards away from goal so you're looking at like not little passes within the box or you know a corner or uh, crosses outside of the box uh, omaha did a really good job of kind of narrowing the field which is already narrow right so you're taking advantage of that and the only way fort lauderdale was able to really get anything going is through those long balls um, but of course the, the, there was a long ball that was a direct result of the first goal for Omaha, which was scored in the 25th minute. So, uh, so, so the keeper knew who, uh, got the ball. He, uh, hoofed it up field and, you know, basically, so Evan Conway flicks it on with his head. Um, and he, he, I guess, I don't know if he saw Austin, um, uh, of course, of course he saw him. Of, of yeah. He's going to say that he saw him, but yeah, anyway, but, <laughs> but, but it's, it was like a perfect flick on to, uh, to Austin, uh, um, uh, Pancho and it's he was one v one with the keeper. There was nobody there. I I thought maybe Boyce was making a run to his left, um, to Austin's left, but you know he didn't pass it off to Boyce uh, and instead took it himself, which was fine because you know he finished uh, quite well and and that opened the scoring in the twenty fifth minute. Yeah, and I think Omaha's energy. 
they really came out and you felt the, all right, we need to win. We need to go on a run, right? It was, it was a lot different. We were talking about how they kind of looked tired in the last game. And this was a complete opposite. It was one of those things that they, they came out firing and, and looking to make those runs. And you even saw that, which we'll talk about later in their game against Tormenta. Well, one of the things that, that I noticed, which I think was a ta- that Coach Mims must have done, uh, which is a different tactical approach to the way that Omaha was pressing. So uh, earlier in the season, Omaha, and I think this is when they kind of got tired and went on that pretty poor run of form recently, they tried to press everywhere in the field, which they, they're able to do at home. But because these other fields, like the field down in Fort Lauderdale, it's just bigger, it's wider, it's and it's a little bit longer, and th- you can't do that. So now, like you mentioned, Jason, that th- they have a line of confrontation that's closer to midfield, press there, make the field smaller there, and then break and go fast. And and uh, you know it it worked um, at least a couple of times uh, during uh, during this match. Servando um, for Fort Lauderdale was the only player for them to have an above 67% pass kissing accuracy in, in Omaha's half. So that wow. shows you that there was a very particular spot in Coach Mims said, as soon as they step foot in this spot, <laughs> you are collapsing them and not allowing any through balls, not allowing any side passes, which is why Fort Lauderdale had to rely on those yeah. long balls. But of course, they couldn't stop uh, Eduardo Sosa on the wing, though, uh, in the 42nd minute where uh, – so, uh, so so Sammy uh, – um, uh, Gadiri, he gets the ball on, uh, uh, you know, dr- dribbles down the sideline and then just like makes a three yard back pass to Sosa and somehow gets the assist because Sosa did all the work in this play. Uh, so <laughs> Sosa dribbles from the left hand side of the uh, of the touchline, cuts inside, beats three players, and then hits a 22 yard banger, of course, into the uh, upper right. It did get a little deflection, so it did get a little help, but you know, nonetheless, it was a, a great play and, and a good shot by Sosa. And if you're Omaha, if, if scoring a goal, the other team has to score a goal with the best player on their team and one of the best players in their league taking on three guys and scoring a banger from 20-something yards out, you take that, right? You don't yeah, you just applaud and you say, okay, good, good goal. Let's yeah. get more, guys. See yeah. if you can do that three more times against <laughs> us if you want this win. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just a couple of minutes into the uh, second half, Evan Conway uh, scores a goal. There was a kind of a scrum in the six-yard box, and Conway kind of poked it home from – uh, from about six yards away, um, not much to to say can't, there. I mean, it was yeah, just poor clear, poor oh, yeah, clearance. Can't clear, yep, yeah, can't clear. Yeah. Um, and you know that that's been a problem that Fort Lauderdale's had the whole season. Like, like you know that again, you and I have both talked, Jason, in the past. Like Fort Lauderdale is this year's Toronto FC too, right? Where you know you you love watching their games because you know there's going to be goals yeah, <laughs> like exactly. one way or the other, and um, uh, and it's because they have a young line, right? They, yeah, they have a sure. young back line and this is their way of getting experience. And so, yeah, they, the experience midfield, young back line, and then you've got, you know, young attackers and, you know, a whole mixture, I should say, because Valencia yeah. is obviously a but talented, but talented ones. It's not, uh, you know, yeah. it's not OCB where you have, you know, one player basically, right. who's, you know, worth it on the field. That gets um, to play three games a year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was talking about the Blonde. I think he's played every exactly. game. Exactly. I think OCB he's always, this year. Uh, no, he's played know. eleven. Yeah, he's played eleven. 11? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I looked that up earlier today, actually. Fifty-fifth um, minute, uh, Fort Lauderdale uh, evens the score again. Felipe Valencia. There was a short free kick uh, from right outside the box, and this time Omaha couldn't clear, and uh, the ball basically gets fumbled right outside the uh, six-yard box, and Valencia just toe pokes it home. 
Yeah. And uh, I mean, just sloppy defending on those on a couple of the goals here. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I don't know. Do, do you think Fort Lauderdale was was pressing up to try for the winner in yes. the 80, 80, yes. 84th minute? Why not? Why not? Yeah. Yeah, so so uh, Fort Lauderdale's pressing up, and uh, the ball gets played out by uh, um, by Kristen Molina, and uh, there's a three v two break where it's Vandecor Decker. Um, I don't remember who the other Conway I think was one of them maybe, um, and then was it Elma? Maybe no, Elma got subbed out by then. Um, anyway, someone else in the middle, and uh, so so anyway, it's a three v two break. Uh, Vanicor Decker finds himself one v one with Fort Lauderdale's uh, center back Harden, and uh, he's just able to beat Harden for pace and finishes nicely for the winner in the eighty fourth minutes. And that I'm sure had Omaha fans screaming. Yeah, had to um, right. He kept kept them in the yeah. hunt. Yep, and uh, just letting you know, it was a. Uh, and what was it? I can't remember. No, it wasn't N4. I'm, it, it was on the left side. It was uh, somebody traveling. Um, so, yeah, like you said, yeah. Decker got it. He had two options but took it himself, and it, it was an easy finish. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things to where it, it's – that might – if we we come back in another two weeks, that that's the goal we're talking about because if he doesn't finish that, if he goes, he decides to take it himself and it's saved, then we're calling him selfish. <laughs> <laughs> and we're saying that he potentially lost Omaha season. So that's a hundred, that's a hundred percent true. So, so I, I think it's interesting, you know, we, we, uh, you know, I, I sometimes go through the stats, not because I think that they are necessarily meaningful for the outcome of the match, but more because it describes how the match was played. And, uh, you know, in typical pressing team fashion, Omaha gave the ball basically to Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale had 70% possession in this match, um, yep. yet they uh, um, yet they only had one corner, and whereas Omaha had eight. <laughs> so, you know, you think about, you think about that, uh, you, you know, the, the, the trash that I think is, you know, is pretty telling in, the, in that regard. Um but that's what you – I think you had mentioned that last week to where, remember, yeah. it was teams were giving Omaha the ball and saying, hey, do something with it. So. Yeah, and they and they couldn't. So they, yeah. they liked the break. So, you know, maybe they found a new way to play on these bigger fields. Yeah, we'll, so. we'll talk about the break, uh, especially yeah. in that Tormenta game because they did it again, and I'm, I'm starting to wonder if Omaha is just the fastest team in the world or if the rest of the league is <laughs> slow. I'm not quite understanding or some on. or some combination of both. Yeah. Um, so Greenville Triumph uh, on Friday night played Orlando City B. The outcome was almost a foregone conclusion, although it took uh, Greenville a while to, to, yeah. to get it. Yeah. This was Greenville's ninth clean sheet out of thirteen games. So they have clean sheets in uh, in you know basically three quarters of their games. Light work, just some light work. Yeah, it's like you know, and and of course, you know, I've always uh, I've always said this to every team when they say, "Why are we focusing on defense? Why are we focusing on defense?" Well, you can't lose if the other team can't score. So, and and if you're a team like Greenville that doesn't necessarily score a lot of goals, it's uh, you know, it's it, you have to do it. Um, this though, Jason, I didn't think this was a typical Greenville game. Um, you know, they had a lot of the ball, which is not usual for Greenville. I mean, just like it's not for Omaha. Um, and they had a ton of shots and pretty big chances. So, you know, why did it take them 65 minutes to get on the board here? You tell me, because I was watching the game and I was like, y'all really can't finish it. <laughs> I also I also do think that there were – like there's players and there's tactics, and I'm sure they're still working it out. And so I look at players like – 
JJ, right? JJ Donnelly, I thought played a fantastic game, but I think at times he was doing too much or trying to make too much happen and trying to be more of the creative player instead of having the ball bounce off of him, you know, having one, two passes. Instead, he's trying to take someone on one-on-one and he's too big to be taking on these 15, 16 year old kids that are a whole foot shorter than him. So like (laughs) they're already halfway to the ball. So he's trying to beat them. And I think, I think once in the second half, you know, Coach Hart's probably at halftime called, hey, calm down and let's just do what we usually do. Don't try to force things. Don't try to make it happen. Because, yeah, this game could have easily been eight to nothing by halftime. It was, yeah, yeah. This was I, easily the, the biggest disparity of skill I've seen in this league, right? When we look at this league, we know Orlando City B is not going to be – you know, competing up top, but we still know they can play spoiler. We still know that it it won't be a blowout every game, right? There's games to where they shockingly draw people. There's games where they can shockingly win. Like we know there's no blowouts in this well, league. Well, they, they, they have they have a they have a win and they have three draws this season yeah, in so, twelve games or so. But so. but that's what they and even last year, right? They, a couple of draws that were really, you know, hurting people in their playoff chances. But that was uh that game was like okay this this is a big yeah. difference in quality and it showed yeah. from kickoff to to the final yeah. whistle. Aviza did have a pretty good game. I mean his shot stopping ability is really good. As, as bad as he is with his feet, like like you know we've seen him make those a couple of error bad errors with his yeah. feet. Um, um, his shot stopping ability is quite good. And uh, I mean part of it's that he gets a lot of practice playing for OCB. <laughs> I was <gonna> say, um, <laughs> but he had four saves in this game, and yeah, you know, um, you know for sure. Um, it, it's funny how, you know, working it around with Greenville, like you, you look at their goals in this game and when they had the ball, they had it in the final third. They were trying to like look for seams and played around. It didn't look natural to them. Right. It like they, they, they were confused. So, so, you know, when you look at, um, when you look at the the first goal in the 65th minute, it actually was when Greenville was breaking and moving yeah. quickly. It's, it's right? like that's the only way they know how to score because <laughs> you're so used to defensively playing and then getting the ball and then hitting Morel up or hitting Muhammad on the edges and allowing yeah. them to to break and get something in the middle to Keegan or McLean or something. So yeah. exactly, and that's a, and that's exactly what happened here. Alex Morel found himself at the top of the D with the ball, and he just passes it to McLean, and McLean has a little bit of brilliant, um, uh, you know, one v one action himself, and then pokes it home with his left foot to the uh, lower left corner of the goal. Yeah. Like as much as I I love Chloe's, like Paul Chloe's, I think had four or five shots this game, and. I don't know how many games he's had four or five shots in the past. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, he. I think he's had what one goal, maybe two, and and yeah, he's some assists. I mean, Chloe's definitely gets mm-hmm. a bunch of assists, but and it, it's not about not producing offense. It's literally like everyone from Greenville got a chance to to score because they just had so much <laughs> possession, but they didn't know what to do in the final third. So it was yeah. one of those things to where it was just like, all right, yeah, I'll go ahead and give it a try. Yeah. Um, and their pressing did work because uh, four minutes later, um, Jake Keegan basically intercepts a horrible, horrible pass mm-hmm. um, by uh, by OCB, and um, the ball, uh, you know, Morell's just breaking down the right hand side, wide open. Like there was no one within ten or fifteen no, yards of him. I was about to say there was just—I don't even think there was anyone on camera with him. I, like, <laughs> so. it, almost, 
Yeah, it almost seemed that if way. You, if you looked away from the TV and looked back, you would have thought, well, what happened? Is, the, is this <laughs> a hydration break? Why is, why is Holy Morrell on TV right now? <laughs> he's doing he's doing sprints. Coach Harks was mad yeah. at him. So he had him do sprints. Um, but so so Keegan finds Morrell. Morrell's one-on-one with the keeper, and Morrell's not going to miss uh, when he has the whole whole goal to shoot at. So, yeah. um, so 2-0, Greenville, first place. They're in the finals. No one can catch them. In fact, their magic number, by the way, um, because okay. you know we'll like talk magic. about this in a minute. Yeah, their magic number is they need four points from their next three games, okay. or one point and Richmond to lose one of their next four games. Okay. So, and, and for our audience to know, their next three games is away at Tucson this week. Then they're home against Omaha, and the last game of the season is away at Orlando. Right. So, so they you, got that buffer game at the very end of the season, but. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Coach Hartz is going to want to wrap it up early so that they can rest people and not force them to go into a COVID hotbed known as Orlando. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and more than likely, like if they get two points, my guess is they'll probably host also. Like you know, if they so a couple of draws or even one win yeah. will probably. I was going to say if they can get it done at Tucson this week, they they should be good to go. Yeah, because because then you know, worst case is you need a point that last day and against OCB, you know, they're. Greenville could play their academy players and probably get a right. um, <laughs> probably get a draw. So um, anything else about this game? You know, it was it, it was it was kind of a it was a fun game to watch because it was a lot of action, even though there weren't a lot of goals. But it was uh, it had to be frustrating for I like, it. I, had to be- say, I think Greenville stock went a little down in my book because it's like y'all really it's 28 shots and y'all really can't finish any of them. <laughs> y'all looking like Ford Madison yeah, out there. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, OCB had zero shots on target. So, you know, six shots total, none on target. I mean, yeah. you know, Dallas J, he, you know, this is going to be unfair to Dallas. He does not deserve goalkeeper of the year this year. He has faced so few shots. I mean, he's, you know, he's made a couple of spectacular saves, but uh, I mean, in fairness, like he just hasn't faced enough to, so to so earn the golden. I'm going to put you on spot. I don't know. Ooh. Um, I guess, you, you know, if, if down the stretch they make the uh, they make the finals, I think Akira has a shout, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know Mangles also like if if the Red Wolves I think make it to the finals, you know he has he's going to have to come up big the next couple of games probably to to make yeah, sure the Red think, Wolves get in. I think if 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 Richmond gets to the finals, I give it to Akira. But I will say, and this might surprise you, didn't surprise me. Who do you think has the most saves in the league right now? Uh, let's see. I'm going to say either it's got to be Joe Rice, maybe Joe Rice. Yeah. Look at that. He's, in New England. Yeah. I knew it was yeah. probably either him or a visa because they're the, yeah. they're the goal. T- they're the goaltenders who face yeah, the most shots. On I don't understand why. And he would, he have even more if he wasn't benched for those, every other games that they were doing for that uh, coach PA was doing for a little bit. So yeah. yeah, shout out to shout out to Joe Rice. Yeah. And, uh, so shall we move on to the next match unless you have anything yes. else about the Greenville match? Okay. Yes. I didn't know if you were going to try to, to, to segue that into a new England game and you were looking and was like, Oh, that's not our next game. That's yeah. yeah that's now. exactly <laughs> what happened because I was like, wait, is the Richmond New England game next? But unfortunately it's not. Sorry, yeah. I set you up. That's, all, that's all, all good. All good. Because the early, <laughs> the early game was uh, North Texas uh, on Saturday versus Fort Lauderdale. So Fort Lauderdale short rest um, kind of showed on the field. Um, three, oh, yeah. three nil to North Texas. Um, they, they didn't, tr- they, you can tell away games. They're not going to be trying with their bet. Like Sosa didn't come. No Valencia. Right. Um, Sammy Gidiri 
came in, only played 45 minutes. Uh, they gave Noah Allen his first start in the back line. I wonder, I wonder if some of those guys aren't training with the first team with Inter Miami. I mean, it's it's possible that yeah. they are. So that's another reason for them not to travel. Um, you know, right. especially since they're not going to make the playoffs. I mean, and it also might them. be because Inter Miami doesn't want them to, right? Like Inter Miami's like, why would you risk? Like, you're not going to make the playoffs. You're right, like exactly. we're in the middle yeah. of a pandemic, so don't risk our players getting COVID or getting hurt when they don't need to. They can play at home, and then that's that. So yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. So, um, so you had, uh, Ronaldo Damas got a brace in this one and Arturo Rodriguez, uh, got a goal is what his second goal since he came back on, on the team so. and, and Damas, uh, actually was, assisted that one. It was, it was pretty too. Just one touched it. I will say, so if you go through the goals, that second goal though, with, with, uh, with Damas to Arturo. Now at the beginning of the year, and we'll go back and we'll talk about our our predictions, our preseason <laughs> predictions. I predicted a certain someone from North Texas would win Golden Boot that wasn't Damus. Now this goal is the exact reason why I thought that and how I thought North Texas was going to be playing all season because Damus likes to get wide, and I thought another striker up top with him. Oh, I don't know, maybe Alex Bruce, Bruce or yeah. somebody. <laughs> Who got an assist to, in this game as well, right, by the way? Be able to benefit from that, especially because when you look at that Damus assist on that, he brought in three defenders with him, right? You had three, he had it was three versus two, and you had Arturo coming in late, but even that defender went, eh, you know what? I think I'm gonna go towards Damus too. I'm not gonna <laughs> stay in the middle, which is why Arturo had the room to one touch it. But um, that's the kind of way I thought North Texas was gonna be playing all year. And yeah. I thought Damus. I mean, an incredible game. He had eight shots, half of them were on target, and he had two goals uh, as well as four chances created. So player of the week, I mean, definitely worth it. Another game, you know, this looked a little bit more like the North Texas team that we were used to last year. Um, You know, they they still only had 400 passes, but – um, but you know, they had 23 crosses, 21 shots, right? So they, I mean, this game could have been five, better. nothing easy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Damus, yeah. I think hit the woodwork twice and, uh, Castaneda got some really great saves. So it, it's, it's one of those games to where it was over to, from the beginning. Um, and I think, like I said, Fort Lauderdale, you'll see their full strength at home. You're not going to see it on the road. Uh, Christian young though, shout out to him because, uh, I think he heard us saying that he didn't have any memorable games. And so he, <laughs> he made sure to give us one this time. Uh, four chances created, seven tackles, six recoveries, won four of his six duels, one of the only players with a winning duel rate for Fort Lauderdale, uh, easily their best player of the game uh, in this game. So shout out to that young man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- so good, good for North Texas. Not really, uh, doesn't really matter much for the um, for the finals. Neither of those teams has really has a realistic chance of, of making it. Even North, even if North Texas wins out, they'd need Richmond to basically lose out in order to in order to make it. Yeah. Um, but okay, listen. When it but, comes to the darkest of dark horses, if I had to put my money on somebody, it's North Texas. Because if you look at the table, like we've we've established, this is Richmond's to lose, yeah. right? When you look at the table, I'm gonna pull it up right now to see. I think North well, Texas is only so, played 11 games compared to Omaha's 13, and so they're only a point behind Ford. And then Chattanooga's played 12, and they're six behind Chattanooga. I, I mean, um, they're four behind well, Chattanooga. 
So let, let, let me, so yeah, but there's six behind Richmond, right? So that I said, it's, we've established yeah. this. Okay. Richmond's okay. we've established. <laughs> I'm saying gotcha. if however Richmond does slip and all of a sudden there's another horse in this race, as much as Omaha is, is trending right now and they're looking good. I'm saying watch out for North Texas because yeah. that is who I might slip a couple of dollars on at, uh, at a nice high upset price because once they start going and once they start clicking, it, it's they're dangerous because now they've got Arturo back. Now Breck is yeah. back. Now Batista is back. Like they're they're getting everybody in form at a at a scary time. So it's Richmond's to lose. We know that a hundred percent. Richmond just better not lose it because North Texas is gonna be on that ass. Well, they gave everyone that possibility this week because they hosted New England Revolution. That's a sad yeah. Thank you. <laughs> who dropped a four spot on Richmond who could not uh, find the back of the net. Terzaghi probably had the best chance for Richmond in the game late in the, in the first half to um, to bring it to one. Uh, it was 2-0 two, two at halftime, but it could have been 2-1, to one, and that might have changed the whole dynamic of the second half. So get this. Joe Rice and the New England Revolution 2 – have not conceded a goal in 352 minutes of play. Now it's this, probably it's actually longer because of the you know water breaks and all that other stuff. But let's call it <laughs> 352 minutes. Three games, and then the last time they were scored on was in the eighth minute four games ago, back on September uh, 16th, uh, which was against Tucson. It's the last time that they've conceded a goal, and they lost that match. So, 36 interceptions this game. That that's got to be a, probably a USL record, right? I I highlighted that in my show notes too. It's, it's got to be. I went not, back. It's close. Yeah, as much as I could, and then like twenty five minutes into it, I was like, "All right, I'm just going to assume it is. I can't keep going back anymore." But, but, quite but, frankly, twenty of those were because Richmond just couldn't pass the ball this game. I mean, it was. <laughs> so yeah, Richmond were really sloppy in possession this game. They uh, they didn't get the ball forward. They didn't have penetrating passes, and they didn't lose the ball. And that's you know Richmond, even though they they have been a counter team they usually have been pretty good in keeping the ball and they, they just had a lot of errant passes in this game Jason yeah but I also want to I also do want to shout out New England because I thought Mendonca and Maciel did a really good job of holding down that middle uh, they had you know like a coach what we talked about with 36 interceptions but I think the real person that shined for New England this game was Ryan Spaulding he shut down his side. Nine interceptions, three tackles, won seven of his 11 duels. Richmond only had one successful key pass from his side the whole game. Uh, I think because of that, you saw Mwape get a lot of action on the opposite side. And with um, Mundaka and Maciel holding down the middle, I think Richmond gave the ball away a lot because it was hard for them to find the spaces that they usually have to get those through balls in and to get the ball to, you know, Terzaghi or Riley Kraft yeah. and the people who then have that space to work with. Yeah, and actually I was about to bring up that that Riley Kraft did not have a particularly good game either. Um, it was, you know, he had been one of the bright points really for Richmond most of the season and, and really pulling the strings in the midfield for them. And, uh, you know, he, he was one of the players who, you know, for whatever reason, like I don't know if they were nervous or they were excited, but for, for whatever reason he made a lot of errant passes as well. Um, you know, and, and in fairness – uh, Richmond still had 19 interceptions themselves. So it's not like it, New England was flawless either. And, um, you know, and Richmond, like we said, they had their opportunities. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know if we should go through all the goals. I mean, the first goal, though, I think was Fresh kind of telling. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. I mean, especially the, especially the, the the first one because Richmond didn't do a good job clearing the ball, and um, the, the ball came in from the midfield to to the left post. There was a shot. Akira saved it, but then it dropped down um, to uh, um, I'm not I don't recall who who it popped to, but someone crossed it then to the back post where Sinclair just totally out jumped uh, Scott Thompson and Sinclair headed the ball down and happened to hit Kyle yeah. Ventner and it just hit off of Kyle. Kyle didn't even know it was coming. He was just like literally in the process of turning around to find the ball when the ball hit off him and went into the goal. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that just was kind of a microcosm of the way that Richmond's day was going to go after yeah. that. Do um, you, do you have a fear of, when we talk about depth, we talk about rotation. So you say Riley Kraft, for instance, he's been pulling the strings all season. He has a bad game, and it seems that Richmond can't get it going offensively. Ian Antley, we don't know how long he's out for with injury. He's another one who's been a rock in the back and can help push forward. So when you look at players like Pavone and Diasa, who comes in on that right side and didn't produce a single key pass or successful cross, uh, which then in the second half they were subbed out and tried to get into a different tactic and fresh legs. Does it scare you at all if you're a Richmond fan yeah. to see that? I think it has to because, you know, they're so used to playing the four in the back that, you know, the obvious thing to do might be to try to do a three in the back and then maybe push up like Scotty Thompson as to more of a wing back and maybe have, you know, Akwe, Ventner and, uh, um, uh, and Ivan back there and just have like that three in the back. But the, the, the problem with doing that of course, is that you actually lose a potential attacker by doing it. Um, so, and, and if you're not used to doing it and they have games so quickly now, right. Cause they have two games a week. You really only have two training days. Yeah. Um, a week. You don't have, you know, four days of training in order to kind of switch to a three in the back kind of system after having played four in the back. So yeah, it's a concern. And and I think if um I, I think you could probably do without Antley, but I think if 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 Kraft isn't having a good game, I think their their whole system is kind of around him, if not pulling the strings, then keep holding, you know, having a defender come at him. I mean, it's not dissimilar, quite frankly, to Arturo Rodriguez last year, where you know, hey, who's the guy that you have to cover on the field, right? It's gonna be, you know, that your 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 most attacking midfielder. And I think that's what he is. So um, you know, there was another own goal in this game, Jason, <laughs> a penalty, and Wape, you know, yeah. push it. You know, pushes a guy in the back who maybe didn't have to fall, but you know, you get touched in the back in the box, and you yeah. know, you go down, right? And you know, that's going to get called more often than not. Yeah, so. you can't. I mean, you your team would do the same thing. So of course, yeah, right. yeah. No, I mean, Trezaghi gets touched in the exact same way in the box, and he's going down. I mean, right. an Argentinian? You're kidding? Like he's probably <laughs> going down if you breathe on him. Okay, I wasn't. I wasn't going to take it that far, Ira. But I see we've got some. We've got some feelings towards Argentinians. Uh, oh I, no, no, I. I, they are so talented. My goodness. Yeah. Like you, um, anything else about this game? You know, we, we talked about the, the high interceptions. Um, it, you know, it was a, uh, uh, yeah, it was ugly yeah. for Richmond. They have to bounce back. They don't have a choice. Uh, no bold nut hurt. Uh, just, yeah. You know, like I think that that helped. I mean, that hurt them as far as the offensive production standpoint. And then let me let's talk about Terzaghi for a little bit though, because two stats that stick out for him. He was the most fouled player on the field. Okay. Yep. He was also the player with the least amount of touches of anybody on the field. That's not a good combination because if you looked where he was getting the ball, 
he was getting the ball at midfield for most of the game. And I don't know if that was because they wanted him to get on the ball to try to make something happen. But the idea is if New England was like, oh, okay, well, if you're going to bring him all the way out to the midfield, then when he gets the ball, we're just going to foul him at the right. midfield. And now you don't have those free kick scenarios to which he's so dangerous at. So they need to figure out a way to keep him closer to goal so then that if teams do want to get physical and foul him, then at least you have a 25-yard right. free yeah, kick. Yeah, you, you, can, you can have him up a – you or, know, just, just serve in a ball that's right. going to find or you can, head, right? Yeah, or you can – yeah, exactly. You have a cross that comes from the side. However, but getting him fouled and having him touch the ball literally like right after the midfield line in the middle of the field does nothing. It doesn't allow for a free kick chance at goal. It doesn't allow for a cross to come in from a free kick. You're just pretty much a no man's land at that point. So I like so, to see him get the ball higher. So, so do we think that people are going to watch tape and say, Hey, how did new England shut down Trezaghi? Absolutely. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Because yeah. yeah, like, I mean, people have been trying different things. You see, we, t- I talked about having a Patrick Beverly and Omaha did that where they had one person pretty much trailing him the whole game and so yeah if it's one of those things to where i think they say like new england made a decision if he gets the ball at midfield bow him because this way he can't build anything we're not in a dangerous free kick territory let him keep getting the ball as far away as goal as possible so i don't know if, you know with the absence of bullduck that has something to do with it yeah it'd be, it's and, true because because you know how fast bullduck's one of the faster right. guys on that team that if you can just if you're playing such a high line to keep trizaghi near midfield Bulldog could get in behind easily, right? And and you know, start an attack too. So yeah. um yeah, so Richmond has to look out for that because you know they they do have five games left, which is you know, as many as as any other team has, and a whole bunch of teams around them only have have more games uh, played than they do. But um, they have to win some of these games in hand, and and Wednesday night is gonna be uh, is gonna be huge. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday morning, that's and you're a Richmond fan or or you're a fan of one of the teams around him. You have to watch that match. There's three matches this Wednesday, by the way, and we'll, we'll get get into those in a minute. Um, the next match, I have to admit, I did not watch. It was the Forward Madison versus FC Tucson match. It ended nil nil. There were eight yellow cards. I think that was the most impressive thing, at least on the stat sheet about this game. Uh, there was one shot on target this whole match it's by it's either it's- team. That's why I didn't watch it. When I saw that yeah. stat, I'm like, forget it. I'm not watching this. They, I mean, Ford had the chance. It's just like the last game they played against Tucson. They were the better team, had the chances. They can't finish. They're just two. They they're not- 10 shots inside the box. Yeah. That's, and so that's what that – and granted, Tucson blocked like eight of them. It was, it was absolutely wild. But the fact that they weren't being able to utilize space and, and get some shots on the run as opposed to bringing it – it just – I don't know. Like I – I see Ford is a talented team when they're on, they're on, but they're not a playoff team. They're not consistent enough. If you can't learn how to, you had two games now. It's not like you played Tucson one time and was like, oh, we can't get past them. You just played them last week and you had another 20 something chances at goal and couldn't score. And then you did it again this week. So if you're not able to break down teams that are bunkering and blocking your shots in the box and inviting you in, there's no way you're going to beat the Greenvilles. There's no way you're going to beat Omaha's. It's just, you're not, that's not a playoff team. And that's actually a match that's coming up. Forward Madison Omaha. The yeah. uh, what 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 do we call? Do we have a name for that derby yet? Have I, have have the supporters named that I, thing? I don't know. They, I don't know. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to uh, who gives a hoot and uh, and and the uh, Forward Madison uh, the, the cheap podcast. beer chug along contest. <laughs> 
um, it, well, it, I have to say, like, if, if you were only drinking when there was a shot on target, you would not have been drunk. No, yeah, it'd be stone cold sober. So. <laughs> exactly. Be fun. So here's a, a goal, though, that you would have had a couple of beers. Um, it was Union Omaha versus South Georgia Tormenta. Um, the first like 40 minutes of this match were amazingly <laughs> frenetic. Super fun. <laughs> I, I, I actually, you know, I have to make sure that I don't live tweet anything because whenever I do, I miss stuff. So I literally live tweeted like this is a frenetic match, really back and forth, really fun to watch, even though there's no score. And of course, as I'm tweeting that, I hear the announcer being like, Evan Conway scores. <laughs> like, Damn it. <laughs> Can, can you tweet that you love when Rihanna gives me a call and it makes you so happy to see her calling her ex-boyfriend Jason Weintraub back? I miss you. Oh, I'll, I'll, tr I'll try to do that. Um, Thank you. I appreciate I'll, I'll, it. I'll, I'll tweet at her. Um, so anyway, th it, this really was a fun match to watch. It was on you know, Omaha's pitch. Omaha's pressing. South Georgia is just going for it. They don't care. They just – yeah, you know, they're just all over the place too, like matching the matching the energy. I mean, South Georgia did a great job matching the energy of Omaha the first uh, the first 45 minutes of this match. Yeah. They did and uh the the issue though was the second half where all of a sudden I don't you know, you're you're the away team, you're on the road. It's it's tough to keep up with that, especially when playoff hopes are pretty much done. You're one of those things to where you're just, you know, trying to win for pride now, whereas Omaha has more to play for. They're energetic coming off of a big win a couple of days before. And that second half is when Omaha really uh, kind of kicked it into a second gear. Yeah, they did go into halftime though leading. And, uh, you know, I think it's worth, um, you know, talking a little bit about this goal because it was, you know, a, a way that, that Omaha has scored on their home field a number of times. It was, it was uh, quite frankly, it had the undertones of the very first goal that was ever scored by Union Omaha, um, different per player assisting, but the same player scoring. Yeah. It was in the 38th minute, Evan Conway, friend of the show, uh, scored from a Tobias uh, Attendo, uh, Attendo, sorry, there's no D, um, uh, assist. So it was very direct. Omaha won the ball, bat, uh, won the ball in midfield. There was just a battle for the ball. Uh, Atieno, uh, you know, just curls a ball from the right side, uh, to the midfield and Conway gets, uh, gets a ball in his head and it's in the lower That's, right hand. Corner. A beautiful header too. It that really was, yeah. was perfect. Cause Hara up until that point was playing lights out and had stolen, a goal or two away from Omaha. So he had to place that perfectly. And he did. That was a great header. Yeah. And then I agree with you. Like in the second half, I think, you, you know, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, maybe the instructions to South Georgia were, Hey, calm down. Let's pick our passes. Don't play so direct and as frenetically. And they actually had a lot more possession in the second half. And I think Omaha was happy to give it to them. Um, uh, so, you know, and, and, in in fairness, like it could have been tied up. I mean, yeah. South Georgia had a couple of chances early in the second half. Yeah. Um, but then they, I, I agree with you. I think they did get tired. Uh, Viator came in in the 72nd minute for Conway, um, and uh, which which surprised me because Evan was playing good. I mean, maybe they're trying to manage his minutes. I mean, he had yeah. played obviously in Fort Lauderdale as well. Um, so uh, so Viator came back. I guess he had been injured. I, I hadn't been keeping up with. Uh, he had been, and all I know is. Omaha started uh, not playing so well once Dami got injured. I think that Dami, uh, you know, we have a lot of newcomers this year and, you know, we have the Sosas and these MLS players. But when you talk about a player who, 
you know, doesn't have that veteran experience. Uh, Dami, I think, is my newcomer of the year. I think he's been sensational for Omaha, and it's a different team when he plays for them because of his ability on both sides of the ball, right? Like, it's not just his defense ability. He leads the team in interceptions for his defense, but he also is second in chances created behind Ethan, and he's their most successful and accurate crosser. So for him to be able to have the on both sides to where he's someone you can depend on the defensive end, but then bring another attack and widen the field a little bit so that you can get N4. Well, you, have, you, have to, you have to play on the touchline right. of that field. Otherwise you're right in the goal. So. so so given that, even if you get an extra yard of space to a striker now, now all of a sudden at least you can get an accurate cross in and it's not three people in a two yard radius of a jump ball in the air. So yeah. I think they're a different team when Dami plays and he showed it. I mean, Two chances created and assists and a goal in less than 20 minutes. That's yep. crazy. Yeah, 18, 18 minutes on, on the field. Uh, so Damian Vieter uh, got a, a goal assisted by Ethan Vandercourt Decker. Um, and uh, so Ethan gets the ball in the right-hand touch line. Um, what was that? I know. I, I'm laughing at this goal and because oh, uh, <laughs> this, our, this might be the worst offside trap i've ever seen in my life <laughs> well it, what was weird is given given how narrow the pitch is you know the center backs were so far apart and so wide uh viator just was standing right like in the middle of the field actually he was running but he was running in the middle of the field and both center backs were not within eight or ten yards of him and which, i mean that field is only like 30 yards wide so we, we don't so call wide. people out on this show but i will say there is a player who was marking him, realized that he did not have the energy nor the speed to keep up with Dami, so he just stopped and hoped that that offside <laughs> trap would work. Meanwhile, the person who is on the other player is running at full speed, and so no, that offside trap's not going to work. Uh, and, and just Dami just outran, you know, the whole team had all the time in the world. But you do have to give pro- you do have to give props to Vandercourt Decker's uh, uh, curling cross though, oh, because absolutely. because the thing was that he hit it any harder, and that the keeper has it all day, it's, right? It's like it's so, in Hara's hands. So. It's so tough for me to not look at that trap, though. I mean, it was just <laughs> one of those things. You might as well have just gone down and held your ankle and pretended that you got hurt or pulled up, like hold your hamstring. You don't just. Stop Stop because you're like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to right, keep I up with twisted, that. My, twisted my yeah. ankle or something it like was, that. Yeah, I was, I was, I'm, I guess I'm not gonna call him out, but he, he should be ashamed of himself, and he knows who he is. Go back and look at the replay. I'm sure. Oh uh, um, and then in the, in the 83rd minute, uh, John uh, Cierci scored from uh, from Vieter, uh crossed the ball from the far left, right near the corner flag, and uh, Cierci just out jumped the uh, South Georgia defense and uh, headed the ball home for the for the insurance goal for the double insurance goal, I guess. I didn't realize this, but you know, in, I didn't realize that South Georgia only had one shot on target. It seemed like it was more like, cause in the first half they had a bunch of like chances, but I guess they were mostly like crosses that were cut out. They weren't really shots, right? Right. It was exactly. They weren't really shots. They got into the box. Um, but then it was one of those things to where they, they, only, had, they only had two chances in the box all game. So it was a great buildup. Then they got into the box, and then it was like, okay, well, we're just going to block this shot or we're just going to take the ball away. Yeah, because they did cross the ball um, 21 times. So um, they also had 27 clearances, which uh, is uh, 
kind of interesting for a team that had a majority of the ball. I mean, they had the ball 62% of the, of the match. Yeah, I mean, Omaha is just, once they get it, that's why I said they're either the fastest team in the league or everybody is just, I, uh, trust me, I know Tormenta's slow after that, but, but, but at the same time, yeah, it's just, it was as soon as Omaha gets the ball and then you're on a shorter field, it, it's, it's recovery time. you got to get back there. All right. So the official USL team of the week is as follows. The player of the week was Ronaldo Damas. Uh, I I don't I know. Agree. I, I agree. You think he, he was the he th- the player of the week? Yeah, I mean, okay. So not, here's the not thing. Theater, not theater, um, uh, not. Tommy played 18 minutes, so, so I don't know. Oh, yeah, but uh, I mean, could give a player. The, I mean, four chances created. Eight shots, four of them on target, and two goals from that. Okay, that but you had two, okay. You had two games. Uh, I'll name. I'll name two other guys who, but both on Omaha. But how about Ethan Van, Ethan Conway or Vanacore yeah. Decker? They played I mean, two I mean, games. I, give it to Evan. I would be fine with Evan Conway. But yeah. the the issue too is that you have to realize North Texas only got one game. So how do you right. weigh out what's fair? Um, yeah of a player that has two games compared to a player that has one. So yeah. I look at it as who had the best game of the week and, and Thomas and had the best game of the week. And we can they give some love to North Texas. They're, they're used to being in the spotlight <laughs> and they're not this year. So, <laughs> um, and, and a lot of North Texas players on this list too, because uh, Avalez for uh, the goalkeeper from North Texas on here too. Ryan Spalding from New England. Yeah. You, you called yeah. him out. He had a great game. hundred percent agree. Uh, Mario from Greenville, um, which I thought was an interesting one because I don't remember him having an outstanding game. I mean, he didn't make any mistakes or anything, but I, I just don't recall him, um, you know, me seeing him a lot when I was watching that, 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 that Greenville um, yeah, I, I would have loved to see, um, and I know they're different positions per se, but like Curtis mm-hmm. uh, Thorne for, for Tormenta, sec- I thought he his second game in a row where he was outstanding. Mm-hmm. I thought he played a really good game. He was probably Tormenta's best player. Uh, I think Tormenta, he's a big upgrade for them on both sides of the ball, right? Because he was creating chances as well as stopping them. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things to where – Hard to make team of the week when your team loses. Exactly. So, Uh, Derek Waldick for North Texas also. uh, I think that's the last North Texas player. Uh, Alex Morrell for the Greenville Triumph, uh, of course. I mean, that's a surprise there. No-brainer. Tiago Mendokina for New England Revolution 2. Yeah, he had a – I told you, yeah. Mendaka shut down that middle. Yeah. Um, And then uh, uh, Atino for Omaha – Maciel, the other Maciel. person, shut yeah. down that middle. Yep. There you go. And then Evan Conway, of course, and uh, Lachlan McLean. Yeah. So, um, all right. I, I would also like the, you know, I know North Texas got players, but I, I might switch out one of the North Texas players and put in um, Ryo. I thought Ryo had a really good game. Uh, he was the one that produced a lot of, uh, you know, what Damis didn't produce. He was the other one producing also with two shots on goal, five crosses, three key passes. I thought that was a breakout game for him for sure. Nice. Um, I'll have to go watch that game more closely. Um, Greenville will host with four points. I think I mentioned that already. Uh, they That's their magic number. Um, either either uh, Richmond losing up to four points or, or them getting four points. Um so let's look at the points per game standings right now. Unsurprising, not much different than the overall standings. But um, one of the things we have to keep in mind here is that Union Omaha is the only team besides the kickers that can get over and and 
Greenville, of course, that can get over 30 points per game, um, which is the reason why for the kickers, you know, if they get just get nine points out of their next five games, even eight points, they probably will be pretty safe in the um, in the, the playoff hunt. Yeah. Um, the Red Wolves and Ford Madison both have a shot too. That they, they can get up to thirty points. So again, you know, if Richmond doesn't get those, um, yeah, you know, those, uh, you know, call it eight, eight or nine points out of those uh, next four games, um, those teams could certainly catch them. Um, and then you know you say North Texas. North Texas can only get twenty nine points. So so my my thing about North Texas is you know I'd, I'd rather in in the next three games you know if Union Omaha gets uh, gets a couple of wins then it, it all can come down to the last game. Maybe it'll be entertaining. Maybe the last day will be like yeah. it, there'll be like three games that will determine could determine. My who, only uh, fear with Omaha is I think of the teams they have like they only have three games left, right? But yeah. they also they have three tough teams. They they have to go away to Ford and then they have to go away to Greenville in their next right. two games. So if you are a team depending on picking up points every week, that's a tough next two games to be away for and then you finish the game at home against Fort Lauderdale which that is a good last game to have if you need points especially if Fort Lauderdale is not going to send their strongest squad but that that away at Ford and away at Greenville are, are two games I don't want to play especially because I think up until uh this past or no because that Tucson game was in Tucson that they lost so I think Ford Madison is still undefeated at home this season right the uh you know, we, we've said it before, and we'll probably say it again. It's really unfortunate that there's not a fourteen playoff because yeah. it would it doesn't be make really, sense. It would be why, really like, fun. Yeah. Why can't you just have the season either one week longer? I don't. I don't get it. Yeah, exactly. This could have been the yeah the the Halloween weekend could have been the semifinals, and then the next week could have been the finals. But um, it's okay. Yeah, he's he's giving me the money uh, the money symbol yeah. with his. That's all. Hair. That's all. Um, yeah, especially since you can't have like. Five thousand fans in the stadium or whatever. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, let's preview quickly uh, week thirteen and then get get us out of here. Wednesday, so we are recording this Tuesday. Um, On Wednesday, we have um, uh, the noon game, the lunchtime game, the game that I'm not going to be able to watch live because I have a call for work at that time. It's Chattanooga Red Wolves versus uh, who are hosting North Texas SC. 6 a.m. Um, in Honolulu, baby. Like the breakfast game. <laughs> Perfect. You'll be having your cereal, your, yep. your, your glass of OJ, uh, freshly you squeezed, eat, I guess. Wait, do you eat – you you drink orange juice with your cereal? Oh, but I grew up with a healthy breakfast. You should see like part of your complete breakfast. You're supposed to have your cereal, your toast, your egg, and your orange juice. I, I mean – but that doesn't that's gross. Like, why would you eat a bowl of milk with cereal in it and then you, orange juice? You did not grow up in the 70s and 80s. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give me an echo and some water and I'll, I'm out the door. Like. Right. Uh let's see. 6 30 p.m. Eastern time. It is the Richmond Kickers hosting Orlando City B. Orlando City only has one clean sheet all season, Jason. I'm shocked they have that. <laughs> so Richmond really needs these points. I mean, That's the more surprising fact. You yeah. thought you were getting me with the one. I'm I'm shocked you said that they had one to begin with. <laughs> uh, yeah, kickers have to win this. Kickers don't win this, even if yeah. they make the playoffs, but they lose this. I'm not. I'm going to say they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. All right. Um, and you just threw them shade, so you know that they're going to win this like seven 0 There you um, go. 
I'm trying to help y'all out. The ghost of Joe Gallardo is coming at me in my sleep tonight. He's going to help y'all out. There you go. And uh, and halfway through the uh, first half of that match, you can switch to South Georgia Tormenta NFC Tucson, uh, which is at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, then Friday um, at 7 p.m., the New England Revolution 2 are hosting Fort Lauderdale. Um, so – uh, you know, that's up in, uh, up at Foxborough. Um, there'll be some football lines in that field, um, on Saturday, three matches. So there's so much soccer this week in league one. It's crazy. Um, 3 PM Orlando city B host Chattanooga important game for Chattanooga's hopes, obviously. Yeah. So a draw does not help them very much. They really need these three points. If you're playing Orlando for the rest of the year, you better win. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. 8.30 p.m. North Texas SC hosts the Richmond Kickers. North Texas are not a bad team, Jason, as we just discussed. So Richmond has to be careful. I mean, put, quite frankly, for this one, if Richmond beat OCB and they come out of this one in North Texas with a draw, they're, they're fine. Good. Yep, they're they're 100% fine. The issue is if you lose the OCB, then um, now, I'm, now I'm straight panic mode because right. – North Texas, like I said, in form, you have to go there, to which they always play better at home. And then Omaha is right on your tail. I don't know. It's just it's a you they they better just take care of business at home tomorrow so they don't yeah. even have to worry about all of this. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh 10 30 p.m. Eastern time, a Tucson hosts the Greenville Triumph. So how many starters from Greenville do you think stay in Greenville? Yeah, I would like, like, like and, six of them. Like you have a lot of players who played every game. They should go ahead and, and get a well-deserved rest and not have to make that long trip out to Tucson. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that that would be smart for them. I mean, they only have three games left. They've, they already know they're in the finals. You know, if Richmond drops any points, they're likely to host the finals. So right. you, know, you might as well, you know, just, just rest some guys. Don't, don't have them take the, take the risk. 5 PM. This is a, maybe a really interesting match. 5 PM on Sunday. Forward Madison versus Union Omaha, and uh, I, I'll be able to to uh, listen to this hopefully on a uh, my ESPN Plus stream or Sirius XM. Oh, Sirius XM, yeah, there you go. I'll listen on Sirius XM because I'm coming back from my daughter's playing in a soccer tournament this weekend. So, mm-hmm. uh, and her game will end at five. That's perfect. Um, I'm sure so. that's I'm sure that's exactly what she wants to hear after oh, she'll be I'm sure she'll be listening to her six soundtrack or something and I'll <laughs> I'll just put on one headphone and just listen. I, I think Ford fans would love nothing more than to just spoil just Omaha end, end Omaha's chances this weekend, right? That would be their dream come true. So Yeah, that's how I you think- start that's how you start rivalries right there, right? If you want a good rivalry, that's it. Yeah, that's that game and then that Chattanooga North Texas game tomorrow. Those are two games of the week. Um, those are the ones that are going to – because Richmond, it's one of those things to where even if Richmond wins, if Omaha and Chattanooga win, they're still putting pressure on them, and so they still have to go. Whereas if Richmond wins and one of those teams lose, they can get a little bit of a of a sigh, of a relief. So, so if Forward wins that game against uh, Omaha, they'll actually be nearly tied on points per game with Omaha with a game in hand. Um, they'll have 18 points compared to Omaha's 22, but they'll have a game in hand. So they'll basically be 21 points. So it's they, not quite, but they'll be they, right there. They ain't doing it. Uh, I, I mean, again, I think their fans would love to ruin Omaha's chances. And they do have the easiest probably schedule of the remaining. They, so after Omaha, they have Fort Lauderdale way, Chattanooga, North Texas, and then new England. So it's, it's, 
there no no one has an easy schedule of the of the second place teams chasing but you know it's a doable schedule but i think if uh i think it's just too late for them especially having to play chattanooga who will still be in the race and then yeah so we'll and then, see and in new england who lately has been like greenville they just don't yeah. let in goals right and so. that's the last game of the season but thankfully for ford fans you're playing that one in whatever city in wisconsin or whatever <laughs> town you play it your, your home home ish yeah well yeah whatever yeah wherever your temporary home is uh as opposed to playing on football field so yeah. well i mean you're still in a football field but it's your football field so that's right just one that you're used to yeah. and, right. and hopefully the other team can get confused with all the lines on it yeah exactly jason where can people connect with you at home sweet soccer and i can be found at ira jersey and you can connect with the show on twitter at league one fun That's League, the number one, then fun. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of USL, Major League Soccer, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves to your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. And to Icarus FC, for all your custom kit needs for your youth, adult, or club teams, go to IcarusFC.com. Jason, until next week, hashtag support local soccer. I'm going to go light some sage now to make sure the ghost of Joey G doesn't come after me tonight.